Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Counter Charge. I'm Elliot Morrish. I'm Patrick Azora-Allen. And I'm Jeremy Duvall. I'm really excited about today's episode. As many of you guys have been following, there's been some new members to the Kings of War Rules Committee. And that is uh, Pat Zorro Allen and the Northern King himself, Elliot Morish. So I'm really excited to have Pat and Elliot on the show today uh, to talk a little bit about Things Rules Committee. We're going to talk a little bit about their background, what they're working on hobby-wise, and also sort of where they where they see the game now, where they see the game evolving in this sort of digital age. So we got a lot of really interesting, juicy topics to go over today. So thanks again, guys. I'm really happy to have you on the show today. And I know it's been a while. I know we've had you on, Pat, on various Army Review episodes and Masters coverage and everything. But for our new listeners, why don't you give us a little history about yourself as a gamer, uh, how you found Kings of War, and maybe hobby-wise, like what you're up to these days in, in the hobby, what you're working on? Yeah, um, so I'm, I was the first U.S. Master, uh, so I am officially the, uh, the oldest has-been in Kings of War. I started Kings of War with the, you know, the great refugee flood from Warhammer Fantasy. I play here in Austin, which is a, a pretty big community. Uh, uh, we have probably like eight or ten like regular gamers and probably like 16 to 20 uh, people who game every now and then that we'll see throughout the year. Hobby-wise, uh, one of the freeing things about uh, you know coronavirus and all that is I'm not prepping for a specific tournament, so I've been painting just whatever I want. So, you know, I just finished up some Walking Dead zombies, and uh, right now I have some Games Workshop Bestigors that I'm going to use as Huskarls, uh, and, and then a couple of Mantic Huskarls uh, that I'm painting up as well. Yeah, that's cool. I think you bring up a good point, which is, like, usually as hobbyists, especially us who love who like to paint but still also like competitive gaming, right, you're always usually painting to a tournament, which in some ways can be good, right? Because it really inspires you and you have a hard deadline, but it also means that you're having to paint very like specific things. So I know same thing for you. For me, lockdown, I painted like some 40K models. I've been painting pieces for the Hellboy board game, you know, just like really just random, you know, stuff on my shelf that are needing to be get done, to get done. Oh, so, yeah, for sure. Like it, it's been a, it's been nice painting without thinking. It's like, oh, I have to paint it these next models and then this and then this mm-hmm. um, especially to change like be able to jump around in different color palettes one example is uh, michael Piercy and i just had a challenge with each other where he picked two colors for me and i picked two colors for him and those two colors in black and white are the only ones we're allowed to use for a uh, a, a model we're painting and i paint pink and purple for him and he picked uh like greenish blue and orange for me so it's a uh, get to do fun stuff like that and and that's cool because it's like evolving as a painter i think is not only technique but it's also like you just mentioned it color palettes you know i think sometimes as an artist and you see this in all sorts of artists right you become more comfortable in sort of one style or one range or one hue or one one color uh 
sphere, you know, and it's like fun to step outside that box. And, you know, Michael Percy is a great painter. Sometimes he goes under the radar a little bit, but I know in this week's community update, Steve had some great pictures of his, as I called it, his Jeff Swanian OCL on his, (laughs) uh, uh, the abyssal um, fiend that he's working on, which is looks mm-hmm. fantastic. So, you know, Michael really is a great painter, and I don't think he flies under the because he's such a humble kind of quiet guy. He flies under the radar sometimes. Is that fiend painted because of the challenge for only using two turns? Because it's no, uh, he picked oh. a uh, a ice witch, um, and it, it does look pretty great. He had, he's gone with a uh, a really uh, the the dress is black and the. Uh, and the pinks and purples are on the ice and on the skin, so it kind of it kind of reminds me of like a drow elf from like the Baldur's Gate series. And Mike is a great painter when he uh, actually does paint. He can definitely get very ADD and lazy about it. But yeah, he's a he's a great painter. Especially he 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 especially understands uh, highlights and lowlights and comes from it from a very like graphic artist's point of view, which is something he does in his free time as well. What I've tried to do is like. Without the tournament to to be prepping for, I've instituted the like hour a night hobby. Just like you know, working out for an hour a night or whatever, I make sure for like progress, but also my mental health that mm-hmm. I'm I'm doing something hobby related an hour every day, at least an hour. I try to anyway. So if that's like basing or modeling, assembling or painting or cleaning my hobby desk or or try to do some sort of hobby related task you know, every day, just so I don't get out of practice, you know, because that's mm-hmm. usually what I found when I stop painting. It's because, oh, I'll paint tomorrow. I'll paint tomorrow. And then the next thing I know, it's been three weeks and I haven't done anything. So it's like just trying to get a little, little bit done each day. Cool. Well, Elliot, I know a lot of people, our audience knows you from uh, uh, lots of different sources, you know, member of the, of the uh, Northern Kings. Also, you know, we really had a chance to get to know you over the Dash 28 live streams that uh, I know both you guys have done. Um, and stay tuned. We're going to have an episode coming up shortly with Britton, Mike Adkins, and Ashley. A nice little Dash 28 live retrospective and looking forward into what Dash 28 has plans for the future. So make sure you stay tuned and watch this space because we'll be having that episode shortly. I'm going to be recording it on uh, in a couple of days, actually. So... Um, but why don't Elliot, you give us a little background maybe on, on how you came to miniature war gaming, you know, how you found Kings of War. And I know you and I have talked a little bit about uh, offline about, you know, your projects that you're working on hobby wise, but why don't you take us a little, a little bit about where you've come from and sort of what you're up to these days? Well, uh, hobby wise, I started lockdown with loads of motivation, painted 95% of a dwarf army, batch painted in one go. And then put it to one side and didn't look at it for three months. Um, lost all hobby motivation. But I actually am now painting for a tournament again, uh, hopefully. Uh, I'm supposed to be going to Cologne in Germany um, in September, which will be awesome. That will be my first international tournament. Um, they've got the go-ahead that the tournament can go ahead. So so long as flights go ahead and nothing shuts down, that, that will be we're going ahead. Uh, so I'm painting up my very first Almantic army for that. I'm painting Twilight Kin. Um, so far, I've completed two units, and I've now dropped both those units from my list. Uh, oh, so no. As it stands at the minute, I have zero painted models for this army. Um, so we're, we're, we're carrying on, but at least I've got them on the shelf, and they're looking nice. Um, and hopefully, I'll, I'll come back to them at some point. Um, 
I joined Kings of War right at the very start of second edition. Uh, like a lot of people, I played Warhammer Fantasy. Uh, was quite big in the tournaments scene for Warhammer Fantasy in the UK. Uh, and then when the when the world blew up, I, I moved over quite quickly to Kings of War. And yeah, I've just sort of played continuously ever since then, really. I think majority of my play tends to be tournament play, just because of that's reality of how I can get games in. Um, there are quite a few of us nearby that do play, but we all tend to play tournaments. So that's kind of how we all, all meet up, really, and, and play with each other. Um I started off with Lord of the Rings miniature game from GW uh, and then went through the usual route of 40k and then into fantasy and then to Kings of War. Now, I did know that I saw some of your uh, elf palace guard that you're going to use in, is Impaler's finish. So does that mean there's no more Impaler's in your army, which makes there, me so sad? There, there are no more Impaler's, but no. I, am, I am quite tempted to because I've got a second unit of them as well to use them as... Uh, my current list has two spear hordes. Um, one of them's got the brew of strength, so I am tempted just to push two together and use it as a sort of counts as uh, brew of strength spear horde. That I really like because they've got, they got the halberds, the, the double-handed weapons, right? And they're yeah. more kind of like halberdy, not swords. I think I that would. I really like the minis, oh. and I really want to use them. But yeah, the, the, the pillars are great. They just don't fit in my my list or how I play. So yeah. And I think that out of the old, you know, everyone knows that the Mantic Elf range is one of their early ranges, and it's sort of like one of those you love it or hate it type ranges. But I do think out of that range, I think that those, uh, the Palace Guard are actually pretty cool when you're, yeah. you know, uh, a, a solid choice out of if you wanted to, looking for something to use in Mantic Elves that are from their range. I do like those. Uh, palace guard are cool i've actually been surprised by all of the models i've got so far from the elves i mean the spearmen people really don't seem to like and when i the artwork on the mantic website i don't think does them justice um you know especially when you look at the current the studio hidalgo stuff that's coming out with the painting it's just incredible how they paint up the new models i think they could really benefit from going back and redoing some of the artwork um because actually the models are quite nice it's just that they're not maybe presented the best no, that's a good point because, as you can see, like, and I think that's always been, you know, um, a, a critique or maybe constructive criticism that people have leveraged against Mantic is sometimes uh, in the past the models uh, are cool, but maybe weren't painted up to as like high a studio standard as you would want to see. But ever since they've uh, had uh, Angel paint those models, man, oh, they look amazing. That guy is insane. Yeah. He is on like another planet. But it shows you how good the Mantic models look when they're when they're painted to a super high level. Um, well, first I thought, uh, you know, as we kind of uh, continue to introduce you guys to the the Kings of War community, I know you're kind of well known by many people. But I thought we'd talk a little bit about um, maybe some experience you guys have had. Like I know in the past uh, you've done some playtesting, and I know Elliot, you guys, the Northern King Kings, designed your own tournament scoring system. So I thought we'd start there. Maybe uh, talk a little bit about uh, what you've done either in playtesting or game design or sort of like what you've done in your past gaming history that has sort of kind of begun to prepare you to be on the RC. Elliot, so why don't you go first? Yeah, so I've actually been fortunate enough to be involved in kind of every, as far as I know anyway, every stage of playtesting in second edition for all the Clash of Kings books, etc. Um, so that really came about kind of by luck, really. My my very first game of Kings of War was against Nick Williams, um, and he was on the RC at that point. It just so happened that when I put out a, a call on our local game store saying, has anybody heard of this game's Kings of War? 
some somebody that I'd never heard of before called Nick Williams replied and said, "Oh, I've I've heard of it. Do you fancy a game?" Um, and went down and he gave me an intro game and he casually mentioned at that point that it was on this thing called the Rules Committee and it meant absolutely nothing to me. And I said, "Oh, that that sounds nice." Um, but then I really liked the game and got into it and and became friends with Nick through that. Um, so I, I've kind of always been quite close to to Nick through the rules committee and then my second second or third ever game was against Dan King at a tournament um so that yeah, yeah and almost beat him I'll, I'll keep holding him to that one so I, I've, I've kind of been been close to those guys just through playing them in tournaments so I think when it came around to them looking for for play testers um for the Clash of Kings books I was just in the right place at the right time really um and so I've I've kind of been involved in playtesting for the last few years now, um, and I've I've sort of got used to the the feel of of what it is that the the RC are after and and the language and also the sort of the importance and the strength of small tweaks and how how much that can shift the game. Um, I think sometimes you see people putting suggestions online that maybe not necessarily thought through, but are huge sweeping changes that will change everything, um, and actually small tweaks can have a massive impact and the the one i always think of was bringing in unit strength um at the time it didn't feel like a massive change but actually it, it changed the entire game completely um changed the armies you saw on the field and how things play differently um and so little tweaks like that to say scenario play can have a, a huge lasting impact and so yeah that that was kind of my my experience with playtesting was just being in the right place at the right time and and initially Nick just wanted a guinea pig to to play play games with and I, I happened to live down the road from him um mm-hmm. so yeah yeah so you, so, you, so you hadn't know you didn't know Nick or any of those guys at all before that first game no I knew Tom Robinson Adam Padley we, we went uh-huh. to school together um so I, I I brought them into the game afterwards but no I I put a post on the um the Facebook page for our local gaming store saying I've heard of this game, Kings of War. It's supposed to be a good alternative to Warhammer 8th Edition. Does anybody play? And, and Nick replied and said, "Yeah, I'll give you a, a demo game." Um, and yeah, I had I had no idea at the time who who Nick was. And it's funny, like uh, how gaming really does introduce people to your life that not only become your gaming friends but become your real life long term oh, yeah. buddies. Yeah, you know what n- I mean? N- n- Nick was at my wedding, and it was. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, from from there, he's we keep calling him now. He's my my support bubble buddy. Um, if you've got it in the UK, um, you're allowed one of the household to be in your support bubble during lockdown. So Nick Nick, Nick is now my support bubble buddy, as I keep calling yeah. him. And I know, like that's sort of like how I came to know Pat too. Was uh, you know, I'd gotten into Kings of War, and I was never really in the Warhammer tournament scene. I loved Warhammer, but just never really played competitively. So it was really not until I went to Alamo uh, in 2017, which was my first out-of-state tournament, that I met Pat and Todd and Jeff and all the Tabletop Titans guys, which I'm happy to now be in that club. And and you develop these friends that not only are gaming buddies, but they become like parts of your life. You know, and it's just interesting how how crazy life is, and and how it guides us to the people and the relationships that end up really mattering mattering to us. You know, uh, and it's all kind of revolved around this sort of silly like painting toy soldiers and and playing battle games. You know, but 
I mean, it, one thing I've always loved about wargaming is I can go anywhere in the country or anywhere in the world, and as as long as I can find a gaming store or a gaming shop, I've got at least one thing in common with a huge group of people. Um, I know that Adam um, Paddler, he he's, does a lot of traveling for work, um, and he used to carry with him a, a war machine army, just for the fact that when he was away from home and he didn't know anybody in the area, he could always go to a gaming store and know that he could have a, a social interaction with a real human being, not talking about work for a couple of hours. Um, and it's it's an incredibly social hobby in that sense. Um you know, I think we have a very geeky perception of the hobby of people sat at home and, and playing games, but actually, it's it's one of the more social hobbies you can you can possibly have. Yeah, you know, my my academic background is I have a graduate degree in ancient Mediterranean history, and I specialized on travel. And a real element of traveling in the ancient world was uh, the idea of reciprocity in relationship mm-hmm. building. So if I'm like a, a trader in Rome or in Egypt or whatever. You come to visit me to do your business or do whatever. I put you up in my house. I take care of you because I know when I come visit you, when I have to do business in wherever, you're going to do the same. And that's something that I found really interesting about the wargaming hobby in that once you start traveling around, it's like you know people everywhere where it's like if I got to fly to this city or if I got to fly to this city, I know someone who could get me from the airport. I know someone who has a couch. I can sleep on their couch. And the same thing is reversed too, is if anyone comes into the Bay area, I'm, you know, I make sure that they're taken care of. So it's like interesting how in, in traveling for wargaming, it really has sort of that old school sort of, we take care of you when you come to us and then you'll take care of us when we come to you. Uh, it's kind of a cool thing, I think. Absolutely. I mean, I've I've been in other wargaming communities before. I, mean, I know everybody always says it, but I do think the Kings of War community is absolutely outstanding for that as well. Um, I, you know, I can't I can't put my finger on what it is for around Kings of War that has created this this community. But you know, I, I'm not talking ill of any other ones, but but very much so. I've noticed it here. Um, mm. It's just a nice place to be. No, it's a good point, and I've also called it like I've often referred to it as like the Goldilocks game, Goldilocks game, where I wonder if the community—it's not too small, it's not too big, it's just right size-wise. So you you know, it's a small enough community that everyone kind of begins to know each other. So there's lots of like uh, reputation, and people know who they can trust, and so maybe there's some sort of component that the community's not big, and it's like just the right size for us to support each other, you know, and not get too crazy big. Well, what about you, Pat? I know that, you know, um, you've kind of been involved with playtesting in the past with, with Kings. Um, you want to go into that a little bit? Maybe your history with uh, uh, game design or playtesting or any anything kind of in that sphere? Yeah, um, so I mean, play test, game design-wise, I haven't really been in uh, in too much. Uh, but playtesting, um, you know, I've done a, done a fair amount of games, not quite as much as Elliot, but um, I usually playtest with uh, Todd, and uh, who would get playtest scenarios from Jeff when he was on, on the uh, rules committee. And then I've also uh, always kind of look at things from a math hammer background to to use that term and so that's helped me i feel like get a uh, a good look on it and uh you know i've i've talked about this list archetype before the douche canoe um and you know wrote a dash 28 article on it but like part of that was whenever the rc was balancing out flyers 
a lot of people in my uh, local meta was like, oh, flyers aren't uh, aren't a problem. I was like, oh, yeah, they are, and here's why. And I took that list to essentially show him how abusive it could be. Um, so, you know, kind of a, uh, like, background into it. And then as far as getting into the RC, uh, you know, I've been friends with Jeff and Todd, um, who are part of the playtesters and, and then RC in Jeff's case. And um, so, you know, I've, you know, talked about different units, I think, are either overpowered or underpowered and different things I would like to do, change in the game. And uh, I, I think, uh, if, and I even talked to Jeff a little bit about how, you know, what, how he felt like what he enjoyed and didn't like about the RC and mentioned to him, it's like, yeah, you know, if you ever step down, put my name forward type thing. And I think that's kind of how I got like recommended for three RC. I was going to say, I know that like, uh, we have Elliot, like I'm Pat and I are both in tabletop Titans and we have like a club Facebook chat. And I think it's like a real like gaming chats or club chats can be like real incubation centers for ideas when you're talking mm-hmm. about lists and going over ideas. Do you guys in Northern Kings, do you do a lot of that, like chatting back and forth about game ideas, list ideas, stuff like that? Yeah, and, and everything else. <laughs> yeah. Northern Kings chats are a nightmare of just rubbish. Um, no, definitely, actually, yeah. Especially when, when we're coming up to things like Masters or Clash of Kings, um, especially then we'll, we'll be throwing lists out where we're quite good at throwing a random idea out and then actually after 30 minutes of bashing it around we either decide that it's completely rubbish or we've morphed it into something really quite good um or quite often we'll we'll throw a concept out there and you'll nothing will happen and then five minutes later you'll just hear this and we all of us have been to easy army and written our own version (laughs) of that concept um it's always interesting how often they come back actually in similar kind of, of ways we, we clearly have similar ways of thinking for list building um but yeah de- definitely we we use that group really as a way of bouncing ideas back and forth but they're also talking utter nonsense a lot of the time as well yeah i mean that's kind of like how Tynes chat is which it's like it goes back and forth between like check out this cool model or you know, this list, or did you see so-and-so said such-and-such, you know, you know, um, but I think it's like, again, it's nice to have that community, and I would recommend to anyone who uh, is wanting to get into Kings of War, but doesn't really know where to start, trying to find local clubs or local uh, uh, groups of players is always, like, a good a good starting point, and that um, I know without my club, I wouldn't be into the game nearly as much, as that it's really nice to have that, another layer of community you know, not just being into the same hobby, but like being in a club, it, it does really net you a lot of really fun stuff. So if anyone has the opportunity to join a club, but is sort of on the fence about whether or not they should or shouldn't, you definitely should is like my two cents. But um, and what, what I would also encourage in the UK, maybe here, that we don't actually have many wargaming or tournament going clubs um, and they don't have to be super competitive, but we, we're getting there now. Um but I can only think of four, maybe. And I know there's, there's a lot more people that that play tournaments and come along that haven't sort of banded themselves together. Even if they all play around a certain area, they're, they're kind of just, you know, lots of individuals. Um, 
So I would say to people, do do band together, do start a chat, and it's it's fun in a lot of ways. You know, we people take the mick out of the Northern Kings, and we take the mick out of ourselves a lot more. Um, but it's quite nice having that identity of you know we've, we've all got our t-shirts and I've got the mug. You know, it, it's it's a great way of getting a group of you together. So when you do go to tournaments, you can you've, you've got that that team element of it, which is is really fun. Yeah, you know, it's competitive, it's fun, it adds a little spice, it's all, like, in good fun, you know what I mean? And it's just, you know, tournaments that have fun narratives besides just the games, like so-and-so's playing such-and-such, and they played last time, and this happened, and then this club does it. It adds a lot of, like, uh, drama, you know, drama to, like, the thing, and I, I love it. I think it's, it's you know, all, all our, you know our club has lots of rivalries so i know it, and it's all in like good fun you know what i mean it's never coming from uh, like a bad spot it's always come from like a, a fun sort of space so I, I agree with you elliot that's like a really good suggestion that if even if you're starting to play with some local guys just make a club you know custom ink makes t-shirts really cheap make some t-shirts you know wear them when you go to a tournament it's super fun so and also, too, I wanted to say before we get too far ahead, I just wanted to say thanks again to Dan and Jeff for all of the awesome work that they've done in uh, the uh, rules committee. You know, I'm excited to talk with Pat and Elliot about uh, their ideas and moving forward. But I think it's always a good idea to take a step back and look backwards and say, especially to Dan, who'd been on the rules committee for so many years, that uh, it is a lot of hard work. And um, I'm glad that they get to have a little break now for a little while. And I think stuff like this, it's good to get new ideas, new perspectives, new fresh takes on things. So I think having the rules committee like cycle people in and out is probably a good thing. It keeps people fresh. But I meant to say that at the beginning of the episode that I just wanted to throw in now, you know, yeah. thanks to Dan and Jeff. And I, and I, I really want to echo that. I mean, and definitely for both of them, but especially for Dan, just because I, I know him from, from playing games with him that, Anybody that's sort of new to Kings of War or new in the last year or so, um, if you don't sort of know Dan or you don't know what his impact has been on the game, you really, really can't undersell it. Um, so when Dan sort of headed up the Rules Committee coming into the second edition, he effectively wrote second edition Kings of War. He wrote the game as we know it now, along with the other RC members. And there's not a single bit of the game that doesn't have Dan's fingerprints on it. And I mean that in a really positive way. Um you know, and, and and both of them are excellent, and a huge loss to both of them. But I really must just say again to anyone that that doesn't know and thank Dan for all of his hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of work, because I know from speaking with Nick just how many hours and what on earth have me and Pat let ourselves in for kind of work that the, the RC put in. Yeah, and you mentioned a little bit before Pat about sort of uh, uh, talking to Jeff and saying if you know if you ever step down, I'm interested. But go into a little bit of a like, how did sort of the idea of you maybe getting onto the RC develop? What was the recruiting process like? Had you thought about that a little bit about how much work it would be, or talk a little bit about what what getting recruited to the RC, what what that was like? You know, I kind of just mentioned it to Jeff and. Uh... I think the fact that I had done playtesting with him uh, definitely helped. And when I did do playtesting, the biggest thing is actually submitting uh, like good playtest results. Um, like I, I would write out battle reports, fill out and fill out the forms that they had um, with like details of, of everything. And I think that's a uh, you know something that they're kind of looking at. And I, I was definitely told that you know like my my rules knowledge that I had post. Uh, when I do post on like fanatics and stuff like that, uh, has been you know pretty solid. Um, 
and then it was a you know an interview uh going over how uh like what i think of the game uh you know what the my temperament would be uh as an rc member because you know you're you're as an rc member you're representing a company um so you can't you know fly off the handle or anything like that and uh you also have to realize that everything you say uh you know now has repercussions as an rc member so that's a uh um something that's a little bit different than just being you know a part of the community and yeah we we, 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 we kind of went over what changes we would make uh what we liked and didn't like about it and then the other thing uh is just you know time um I don't think I was the best person for the job, but I was the person with a decent amount of time to devote to this job. Um, and, you know, the RC definitely devotes a lot of time um, to making this game, you know, something special. And especially in Kings of War, is a, uh, it, uh, we have a lot more in, involved RC than some of Vantic's other systems I've, I've heard. Uh, and nothing against them, but it's just we've... Uh, uh, we help develop uh, and write different rule sets and all sorts of things like that. And we are part of the communities. We go to tournaments and, you know, we're, we're kicking around and looking at different tournament results. Uh, so it is a, a pretty big time commitment. And that's something that the RC definitely wants to make sure that everyone who's uh, who essentially uh, joins in realizes and that they... Uh, can commit that amount of time. Yeah. I, I mean, you really kind of two things you say really resonate with me, which is one having been, I did, I was in the, the, the cabal testing group for second edition and some of the clash books a little bit here and there. And often you'd have people present like anecdotal evidence, like, Oh, I play tested this unit and it's too good. But that it would be that in abstentia of any sort of yeah, great, like great, thank you. Yeah, you know what I mean, right, Elliot? <laughs> Instead of playing like, okay, where well, if you look at this unit, it hits on fours, it has this percentage, whereas this, okay, granted, this unit has synergies with this uh, you know, there's no uh data. It's just this unit's too good or this unit should be better. So I think like what you said, um, you know, having feedback but actionable feedback that's based in data probably was something that they were looking for. I mean, Elliot, did, did what Pat say sort of like resonate with you during your recruitment process? Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I think my interview in inverted commas for the rules committee was the third edition playtesting. Um, as, as Pat said, we, we were given a very strict form um, for each game to fill in and mine would have had to be battle reports for each one. Um, I've got the slightly dubious honor of completing the most uh, playtesting battle reports of third edition. Um, Basically, I, I need to get out more. Um, I played a lot of games on Universal Battle, sometimes, you know, two or three a week, if not more, um, firing through them, trying all different different ideas out. Um, yeah, and I, I never think, got close to how many uh, Elliot did. Um, I remember it, hearing the it, number. It's like, not wow. a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing to be proud of. Um, Although I think I, I was one of the only people who actually just played against themselves a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, that, I did see that. They were, they were quite a good way of doing it, actually. Yeah. Um, but that's the joy of Universal Battle, is that you can, um, you know, and what was great about that was that we could do testing against people in different metas, and so you weren't getting bogged down in one particular meta. Um, so I was making sure to play people all over the world um, with, with different lists and ideas. Um, I've actually got a signed rule book from Ronnie uh, thanking me 
sort of because of the number that I did. And it was, um, I, I kind of look at it with a mixture of pride and shame to realize how many hours I sat there in front of my, uh, my laptop when I could have been doing many more productive things. Um, but in terms of the, the time commitment, I suppose being friends with Nick and now being good friends with Matt James, who's um, also on the rules committee, I'm sort of coming into this eyes wide open. Um, I was aware of the, the amount of time commitment that goes into it but the, the number of hours I currently put into Kings of War and Hobbit um, I do because I really enjoy and I was my thinking was it might mean that I can do less things around say the blog or painting or other things but actually I, I enjoy every aspect of it so why not do something worthwhile that helps the community as well um, and so you know I might get me on in a year's time and I might change my mind and it could be you know huge amounts of work but at the minute actually I'm I'm really excited about the work and I, and I you know I do know it's going to be lots of hours but I'm looking forward to it and I think that's an interesting way that you talk about like I view like the show the show is like part of my hobby that granted in doing the show I don't get to paint as much but it's still me doing my hobby right it's just like a different flavor of hobby well, it's, it's the same way of doing the stats for Call to Arms or doing the blog or doing every bit of it. I, I enjoy just being involved in this community and this, this world and, and thinking about the game. I can't, I can't play as often as I'd like, um, but all, these are all extensions of it. And I'm, I, I, I tend to paint just so my armors are painted for tournaments. I, I don't get as much joy from painting as some people do, but I get a lot more joy from all the peripheral stuff around the hobby. And you mentioned, Pat, uh, 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 like temperament, and I think that that's like really true. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that too, Elliot, which is, you know, I think that um, especially when you're a community-facing organization like, you know, uh, the RC that get asked questions on Facebook or, or whatever, and, you know, sometimes it's when you do your job great, sometimes you don't hear anything it's only when, you know, people, people like, like in my work, you know, no one ever calls me to say, Hey guys, you're doing, you're doing a great job. I get phone calls when it's the, the stuff that's messed up. You know what I mean? So I think the RC often has to deal with that sort of, uh, community attitude, which is, Oh, if you guys do fantastic, that's a given. That's what you should be doing. So I'm only ever going to voice my opinion when you guys mess up or don't do something the way that I want. So, and, and knowing you guys, the, the way that I do a little bit is, uh, I completely agree that, that you guys have nice, balanced, even-minded temperaments. You know what I mean? Yeah, do you think? The, I mean, the, the, do think... they do refer to me as the the acceptable face of the Northern Kings because uh -huh. I have to I have to wade in and quiet down whatever Adam and Tom have stirred up. Um, usually, is the rule. No, but I, I completely agree. I think you've got to you got to take it on the chin for a lot of it as well. Um, you know, you're never going to please everybody, and that's fine. And, and there are going to be things that you know i get wrong and we get wrong and mistakes in the past and we'll we'll do what we can to fix them but you, with a game like this that's so complex and so subjective of what people want from it it's impossible to please everybody and i'm i'm fairly thick-skinned to that i think and did that kind of, you mentioned a little bit pat but go into a little bit more had that kind of come into your head knowing that being part of the rcs that you would have a little bit more you know uh, spotlight on your sort of uh, your voice in different areas of the community. Definitely, and uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've definitely uh, posted less about like various units I've thought of since I joined the RC because I don't want anybody to think, oh, Pat loves this unit, so uh, you know they're going to get buffs, or Pat hates this unit, so they're going to get nerfed. Yeah, um, so I don't want to 
color people's different perceptions that way. So I, I'm definitely a lot more aware of uh, of my posting habits and and such. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be an, an interesting sort of change of mindset, really. Um, you know, knowing that whatever we say now has the it shouldn't do, but people will always perceive it has the weight of the IT behind it. Um, mm-hmm. And that, and that is something that we, you know, I know I am. Mean, we've we've spoke about within within the group about being very mindful of um, that. We are, we are trying to get away from this idea that the RC is any any one individual, um, and that when the group speaks as a group, you'll you'll know it's the group. Um, but still, definitely, we we are going to be very careful about. Well, I, I'm going to be very careful about what I'm sharing and posting, and 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 just sharing my views as, as pat says I don't, I don't want people to think that my views are the views of the c- committee or or that you can take it as a given that something will happen because i've said x and i think that is one reasonable uh you know in sort of the other side of all the the hard work and amazing work the rc has done i think that's one reasonable critique that you could say which is uh wanting messaging from the rc in the future to come from like a more i know people have suggested like a facebook group or having like a spokesman or or just having like the messaging coming out of the rc be from you know not so much this member said this or that member said that instead of the group said this i mean does that make sense yeah and and, and Mm -hmm. watch this space there are are plans afoot okay and and see that Sometimes the internet leverages like nonsense feedback, but sometimes in that white noise, there's like legitimate kernels of really good ideas, and that was one that I felt had some yeah. some validity to it. But, Absolutely, um, yeah. Um, and, and, and I will sort of just interesting on on the white noise. It's it's interesting to say that I think in the past, I think people have been frustrated sometimes thinking that they're saying all these things, they're not getting any responses. Um, I know for a fact that every member of the RC is constantly on all the various social media platforms and everything. So everything that's said is heard and is taken on board. So even if you're not getting a direct response to say the RC has heard this and is doing X, Y, and Z about it, um, you know, every RC member is a completely engaged member of this community and hears all of the rants and raves and shouts and, you know, positives and negatives. Um, We're always watching. Yeah, we're always watching. <laughs> no, I think that's a good point because sometimes people may feel like, oh, I asked this question and no one says anything, so they think that maybe they're not being listened to. But I think that is nice to know that, you know, uh, you guys are so engaged. And I think a lot of us try to do the best we can, you know, follow the different forums or the Facebook groups or the chats or whatever to try to kind of stay in the loop, I guess. But I think that's nice nice to see. And I, and I guess I would say... If you do have feedback, like we've talked about earlier in this episode, the more, uh, besides just saying something's good or something's bad, the more you can extrapolate on your ideas is the more likely probably you'll be listened to. Right? I mean, that's and that's not trying to be a, a jerk. That's just common sense, right? Put no, it, data it, behind what you're saying. It, exactly. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not saying for a second, if you go away and protest this, something will change or happen. But it's it's a very different if someone's saying, I've done this on the field, and I've, I've played these armies and this has happened, rather than just sitting down, looking at a screen and shouting about it and saying, you know, this is this is ridiculous. So speaking of that, why don't we go with, with you first, Pat, sort of entering into the uh rc what are what is your sort of general sense of the game um uh balance wise or uh state of the meta or what what would you say is your sort of sense of the game as you as you start your time on the rules committee so i i think the third edition is is uh pretty tightly you know played and stuff like that 
I think the meta is still being figured out. Like I know a lot of people like to complain about, uh, for example, shooting being gone in third edition, and it really isn't. It's just shooting is completely different than it was before, and I think it's going to take some time for people to uh, to build those lists again, uh, especially if they're thinking about you know what they lost versus what they have. And I I, th- I think there's you know so a couple of things that could be changed, um, and a couple of things that over or under, but all the things that are um, that could be changed are all within like a 10%, like 10% range or, you know, like, Oh, it needs, it needs to drop this or it needs to be 10 more points or 10 less points. Um, yeah, just essentially fine tuning. And what about you, Elliot? Yeah, I, I think that the, the, the foundations of third edition are, are very, very strong. Um, the, I'm, you know, I'm not sure how many people were around from the start of second edition, but the the difference from the start of second edition to the end of it with all the Clash of Kings packs was was huge. Um, and I think I would always remind people we're at the very start of this edition. Um, I think as it is now, the game is very very balanced and is a really good place. Um, it's a bit of a shame we've lost all this you know years with the tournament data and and to know where we are. But I agree that the meta hasn't really settled in yet. Um, I really like how Pat said it there of people are sometimes focusing on what they've lost, not what they've gained. Um, and I think there's definitely some armies out there that have got really untapped potential at the moment, um, mainly because they play so different to how they used to play. Um, so people are still trying to fit their old list into them. And it, it might need somebody to come in with fresh eyes and look at new ways of, of playing certain lists. But overall, I, I think we're in a, a really positive place. Um, I certainly didn't come into the rules committee thinking, right, I have to change loads of it and I've got lots of sweeping things I want to throw out and, and start again. Um, as Pat says, it's it's fine-tuning here and there. It's um, odd units, odd, odd bits of, of playing around with. And, and as I said, I think small changes make big differences. Uh, and as we see... Subsequent Clash of Kings packs, I think the game is going to get better and better. But yeah, you didn't so. want to make big sweeping changes. Well, uh, a few. Oh, you uh, know, <laughs> obviously, we're going to invalidate a few armies. Yeah, I mean, I, I figured we'd move to hex bases eventually. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, that's that just, not yeah. one though. That just makes sense. You know, hex is like a better, is more egalitarian than squares. Everyone knows yeah. that. So. Yeah. Um, but I think you bring up a good point, which is I think often, especially for those who have taken the time to paint your armies, you sort of change is hard. Change is hard in all aspects of our life. And sometimes it's like you you want to instead uh, instead of making like a new peg, you want to take your old round peg and keep trying to fit it into the new square hole, you know, as opposed to maybe going back to formula and starting something new. Um, because I think, you know, just the shooting example, I think there's a lot of four plus army shooting builds that are really good that just haven't been fully developed yet. It's funny because we were just talking about this the day that during playtesting, we put a lot of time into those four plus units because we we were really worried that they were too good. Um, and actually I probably put about 10 different games into various builds of where to do it. And then when the edition actually came out, nobody, including me, seems to look at them ever, but they haven't changed and they're still there. And so there's a lot of potential in those steady aim pacing one range four plus units. Um, and it's, it was just interesting that we gravitated towards that at playtesting, maybe with a slightly different mindset to when, when the edition actually dropped, people were looking at their old armies and thinking, right, how can I fit this in? Not looking at the, the army lists afresh and, and going from there. Yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely something there having played against a couple like that. Um, 
yeah. So it, again, it's it's the the play style exists, but uh, it's just different. And I think off, I think not only do you need change for balance reasons or whatever, but I think change in general is good. I mean, that's why we wanted to have the the up the Clash of Kings updates in the past is, especially in a game that releases all its army lists and its rule book, you need to have some sort of freshness added to the game. Otherwise, it, you know, a year or two goes by and it becomes pretty stale. So. I think change is good just for change's sake sometimes to keep things fresh. So you mentioned it a little bit, Elliot, without live tournaments to sort of get data. I know you've spent all this hard work and time collecting data from the Call to Arms tournament. I know this last weekend we had uh, Vanguard GT that I know Pat played in and then the Bug Eater GT that I played in, which was were both online tournaments. Um, Pat, why don't you go first? Talk a little bit about um, taking data from sort of the online in, in sort of COVID world. Um, you know, is UB different enough that data is taken only from UB? Is it's hard to use only that data when balancing? I mean, is live and UB different enough that we should use both those tools, but not only one or the other? Or speak a little bit about to your thoughts on game balancing, sort of in this digital world that we have to live in because of COVID. In some ways, I feel like UB is almost a little bit pure as far as uh, getting feedback because people aren't tied to their collections. You know, I have uh, Corsairs uh, painted up that I absolutely love what I did with them. So I'm going to make a way, find a way to force them into a list in UB or, you know, I, uh, I don't want to paint 10 units of uh, shield wall for example, um, so I will never make a list with that many. But in UB, you can. Uh, and I think that's something we sometimes see is uh, we see people trying the, these uh, skew lists, which uh, you know we can then look at and be like, okay, does that, uh, does that skew list have any underpowered or overpowered things? Um, so while UB uh, lists in general need to be taken with a grain of salt, I think it, it opens up an interesting viewpoint into how people make their lists if models weren't uh if the hobby aspect of building painting and buying those miniatures was taken away and what are your what are your thoughts elliot because i i wonder if there's enough difference in playing live that you can't even i mean in ub you can load you know you can go page neo and load units and look at every angle and do all of this stuff which you just can't do live so i wonder sometimes is it a real parallel or, or does being able to do that on UB truly get you to like the nucleus of balance and that you can be that precise or, or sort of what are your thoughts? <laughs> you would sort of expect with the amount of data that I pulled together, I'd be massively pro UB, um, an online player. I'm actually, I would lean even more towards take everything on there with a pinch of salt. Um, for, for call to arms, especially because there was the whole issue around list tailoring. Um, now I don't think there was much tailoring actually happening, but because people could change their lists between rounds, knowing their opponent and the scenario, um, I, I'm basically from the list people are bringing, I'm, I wasn't going to pull out much conclusion from that. Um, but in terms of actual units, I think it's a perfectly fine way of testing balance. Um, as I said, it was it was the way we did all the playtesting for third, really, because it was the practical way of, of doing it. Um, there are certain things that work better on Universal Battle than 
on the tabletop and so it's in lists that work more stronger um things like surge lists and flyers tend to work better on universal battle because you can get those millimeter charges that are just unlikely to be able to get in real life when you're playing on a clock um now that doesn't mean that balance should always draw from that because they are technically possible to do and so that needs to be balanced out uh, but you are going to see a lot less of them so for example you know the uh, the the, dra- the dragon flyer list that can fly around and can get to every little millimeter of corner you've left exposed um or the the infamous tom robinson um individual charge and you could just manage it by a pixel now if that was the tabletop you'd probably never see that happen because you couldn't press the undo button that, that many times um, so it's hard to do, but I've, I've never been one that's gone with the idea of we don't need to balance that because no one's ever going to bother to go out and paint that many models. Um, if it if it can exist on Universal Battle, then I think it needs to be balanced in the game. And Nick Williams is a perfect example of that because he went out and painted all of the Scarecrows. Um, Adam Padley went out and painted all of the Goblin Sniffs. So if it exists, somebody will eventually go paint it. Um, I used to hear the argument of oh, we don't need to nerf that because who on earth is going to go paint that many rabble regiments? Well, somebody or is going to at some point. Exactly. <laughs> contrast paints exist. So somebody is yeah. going to go out, is going to get the cheapest models they can, they're going to just sit with a contrast paint and and do it. Or you're going to go the Nick Williams route where he's gone above model count with full Mantic Scarecrows. <laughs> just breaks my heart, that, because that, enti- that entire army is painted better than I could possibly do, and he threw the whole thing out in about two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> solid and just without blinking um so no I, I think that there's this huge merit in looking at the online tournaments and the games a pinch of salt has to be taken with it um but i, I do i do think it's a wonderful tool but it can never be the be all and end all yeah and that's what makes my long rant no and that and that and what you're saying really resonates and that i think that uh, it, I imagine that when you're playtesting or doing game, game design or whatever, you want to have as many toolbox uh, tools in your toolbox to do that balance. And especially in a time where it's not even like you're taking online results in lieu of live results, there are no live results to look at. So yeah. this is this is what we have to begin the sort of the engine of discussion on where should the game go, where is the game now, because there are no live events to look at. So I tend to be of your guys' mind in that it is a tool, um, and it makes sense to me that, like what you said about flying lists or surge lists, are the lists that really capitalize on razor-thin margins do really well on UB because you have the the platform to to see millimeters and to to be able to move a unit forward okay so if i surge it's going to go in a straight line this way okay i got to make sure i tweak it ever so slightly so that it's you know it gets into that flank or whatever um and i think the call to arms uh, specifically you bring up a really good point in that when designing a tournament list right you're trying to design a list that will perform against the aggregate in a five or six round event so often that's where skew lists sometimes don't do as well in live tournaments because it's somewhat matchup dependent so I think that was an interesting thing in looking at Call to Arms is that it was uh, 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 being able to craft those armies, whereas maybe yeah. in, live, in live play you're trying to think of something more over the, the whole of a tournament. And you, you saw it most in Call to Arms for the, the round we played Kill. Um, and the, the lists and the armies there were completely different to what they might be 
in any other round. Now, the the data from that round, I, I wouldn't count at all in terms of game balance because that's not the kind of list people are going to be bringing to a regular five-round tournament. They they knew that there was going to be no objectives, there was going to be no scenario play, so they could chuck out all of their you know infantry blocks and stuff like that and just play a pure kill list. Um, so there always has to be a pinch of salt with with things like that. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good idea. And I mean, I know that I'm happy that we have UB, I mean, as a, as a thing that exists because it is just helping to keep our community together and playing games, you know, during this crazy time. So, uh, you know, I, I, as a thing, I think it is very good, as a, like you guys said, as a tool, but just not like the end-all to be-all. Because I wonder, too, certain archetypes are styles of lists also perform much better when there's no time constraint right so um that's always an interesting thing is like uh, sort of the the rule of time which is like a rule that's not even in the rule book but it's a rule right that we have to play within at events is playing on playing within time constraints yeah and it's a it's a tricky one for game balance is is the clock um because obviously it's not mandatory in your games kings of war so while there are certain lists that I know I would never touch in a tournament because I just know I wouldn't have time to, to do anything with them, um, you've got to be very, very mindful with game balance that some players... The, 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 the RC is here for everybody. It isn't just here for tournament play. It's here for your basement gamers and your every every style of game. Um, and that that's one thing that I've, I've picked up on quite quickly, actually, from the conversations within the RC of how would this work for your, your basement player and how would this work for your tournament player? And you bring up a really good point, which is, uh, I think as a community, because it's such a great tournament game, I think people tend to look at Kings of War through that lens, right? As a as a competitive game, because when it comes to miniature gaming, and I played them all, you know, since, uh, you know, I was born in 1980 and was painting models by 1987. So there's lots of uh, as far as balance goes, this game is pretty good. That that's the lens that we tend to look at it. But I think for the game to really exist. Uh, on a holistic level, we have to take into account those ga- those narrative gamers, are you know who like the fun summer campaigns, are the basement gamers that we can't only look at it through like a competitive viewpoint. Is that sort of your guys' thinking as as well? Yeah, um, for me on that competitive thing is is especially something that they keep in mind with Kings War fanatics and people calling them that. I feel like most of the people who take time to uh, to really get into rules arguments and and discussing this unit is underpowered or overpowered tend to look at it from the competitive standpoint. Um, and you know, like there's plenty of people who just want to grab grab these units and roll some dice. And you know, like I mean, for example, uh, I, I elf elf sea guard and elf. Uh, uh, tall spears are very similar units, and LC guard are one of those things where a lot of people in competitive will be like, "Well, you're paying points to do two different things, okay? Um, so why would I do that? You know, that whole specialty first jack of all trades." And meanwhile, a basement player is like, "Oh yeah, I would love to. You know, I love this idea of a unit that um, that is trained to do both, or you know, to have a modeling idea of having spears in the front and bows in the back, um, and." ideas like that so there's there's definitely a a thing of you know you have to make things uh you have to give flavor to a a unit and sometimes a lot of tournament players 
you know, they want an army to do everything. They want they want uh, dwarves to be fast and undead to be able to shoot and stuff like that. And um, so they like they want an army to be able to do everything, and that kind of ro- sometimes robs a uh, an army of its flavor. And flavor is like really important, right? I think that uh, uh, when you're painting an army and collecting an army, and pay, you want your army to sort of have its what it does. And I don't think because often they will say like, "Well, this unit, uh, Abyssals, has a better version of this type of unit than this army. So why would you play this army?" And it's well, maybe I want to play it because it has cool models. And you can't just think of like, well, I'm going to take the best version of Chap, the best version of Cab, the best version like out of the abstract from all the different armies and put them into one army, and that's the army. And and then you begin where you push the game too much towards chess, where everyone has the same. I think having some differences between the armies and having armies good at one thing and bad at another is okay. That that's Mm -hmm. just part of the environment. I mean, would you guys agree with that, or am I crazy, or what do you think? No, I absolutely agree with that. I think, you know, one of the things I do like about third edition actually more than second now is that I think some of the armies have got more distinctive feels, uh, a distinctive feel of what that army is, um, and things have, have come out of it that, you know, that there is a bit more of a theme or a way around it, and you less generic, for example. Yeah, no, I think that's a good uh, that's a good point, and I think that we can. Uh, find a way to have the game be balanced and through that balance lens, but just realize that, you know, there's lots of different type of players playing and that making sure there's something in the game for everyone um, is good. And that's one of the things I like coming out, you know, with the the summer campaign and extra cool spicy magic that it's, it's giving us some reasons to, to do things with Kings that aren't just strictly tournaments because not everyone likes to go to tournaments, even though I think tournaments are super fun. And I think that, Therefore, everyone, and that no matter what your skill level is, you should go to a tournament. You're going to meet friends and have a total blast. So that would be just in tournaments. Everyone should go to tournaments. I mean, that's really right. I mean, they are so much fun. Uh, I really am a a real proponent for tournament and community building, no matter what skill level you're at. Yeah, Everyone should go to tournaments, but it's absolutely fine if if you prefer narrative play as well. But you should all go to tournaments because they are brilliant. Yeah, and and then like you said, it's it's really kind of like, and even the people who like to be competitive at tournaments, they'll still tell you the majority of them that their favorite thing of tournaments is, the game is an excuse to get together and see your friends, and we still try to make the best list and play well and compete in the tournament. But really, the special, the secret sauce, right? You know, is going out to dinner afterwards and hanging with your buddies and all of that stuff. So I again would be a, a proponent of doing that. If you're if you're on the fence about going to a tournament, you know, just go, put yourself out there. You you'll have a good time. So, and that that's why I you know try to go three to four times a year um, and more if I could get away with it is because you know I want to see the people at the tournaments more and want to hang out with them. It's uh it's not because you know I want to specifically compete it's because i like hanging out with people i see at the tournaments cool okay well well sort of looking ahead you know uh what sort of aspect of being on the rc has you guys most excited is it uh working on future clash of kings books or developing new fresh things or or sort of going first why don't you go first elliot what what sort of typical rc type stuff are you most excited to just get your hands in the clay and and start doing i think for me 
it's always been, I mean, again, being involved in playtesting, the most exciting bit for me is when you get given all the new ideas of what we're thinking of doing and you get that excitement again of, oh, I can, new army, I can do this you know, new, new bit and play around with this and this army that's maybe not been doing as well can rise to the front or this, this play style that we've never thought of before can, can be a new and exciting thing. Um, so to, to be involved in that and to... You know, to cast your eyes over everything and think, right, what what isn't being used as much? And rather than making it this perfectly balanced game for the sake of, it, as you say, being like chess, of okay, what can be fun and exciting, and what can be the next thing that somebody grabs hold of and and really enjoys, and and there's a you know a new play style or a new a new something that comes up, and you th- and you think, oh, and, and get get somebody really excited about an army again or a, a way of playing. That that's what I'm I'm looking forward to. And what about you, Pat? Um, I think the number one thing I'm looking forward to is uh, is balancing out uh, different things and um, and then kind of being a part of shaping the game and you know making new units and all that kind of stuff is exciting. But and uh, and especially I feel like uh, making new artifacts um, is exciting. Uh, but and but like I, I actually do like the nitty gritty of like okay this unit. Um, if we look at the data and the map and stuff like that is uh, is too good for his points and this one is not good enough and you know people complain about war machines what we can what can we do to fix that and or does it need to be fixed or are the people complaining that just the loud minority you know I, I kind of like that kind of logistics and nitty-gritty detail of it awesome and then you mentioned your you possibly got something to go to in September. Uh, what about you, Pat? What's our Elliot? You had mentioned that in Germany, Pat. What are you thinking is your first sort of live tournament back? Do you have something on the radar that you're hoping to to do live once things hopefully reopen? Uh, I honestly have nothing on the radar because uh, Texas is uh, crazy town, right? Yeah, they uh, they opened. Uh, everything up pretty much in may and texans in general don't like to be told what they do so a lot of people weren't doing masks and stuff like that so we have record number of cases um and i i uh, i live with uh with high-risk people and and stuff like that so i i'm hoping things will get calm enough that i could go to alamo in november but i'm honestly thinking that uh, this year might be a wash as far as in-person tournaments mm-hmm yeah, I'm, I'm hoping maybe end of end of September are for Living Legends if things have calmed down. But then hopefully Alamo too at the end of the year. Uh, as far as back live is like my hope um, too. But it's tough, you know. Texas it was the epicenter for a lot of live tournaments, and now it's the epicenter for like other not as cool things. So a lot of my live events uh, have been uh, canceled, but. I think in that, I think we just got to realize that, you know, in looking at the history of events like this, they, they come and then we deal with them and that they pass and maybe our world will, will be changed after. But uh, I know, or I, it, it, it's the idea of, I want to be optimistic until I have no more reason to be. So to me, I'm being, mm-hmm. op- it's like each tournament that I, I want to do that, that we pivot away from like I had hoped to go to Dojo, but I'm not going now based on everything. So now I'm going to, I hope to go to living legends and I'm going to be positive and optimistic that I'll get to go to that until the world tells me otherwise. So that's mm-hmm. this 
for me that that's how I can get through my day to day and be positive minded and happy. And then I'm going to be positive until there's no more reason to be. And then I'll just pivot to the next event. So that's been helping me to sort of stay positive and focused and not live in that, you know, I'm never going to play a live war game ever again. <laughs> I mean, we, we will, we will get through this. It's just, I don't know how long it's going to take, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think for the, for the most part, I'm really proud of how the community has, has dealt with lockdown and COVID in that, you know, we were a bit worried when we had to cancel the Northern Kings GT, what the reaction would be. And people were nothing but supportive, um, totally understood and, and totally got it. Um, and, and I'm seeing that from everyone really, the just, just positivity. And rather than, you know, dwelling on what we're not getting, people are really focusing on, well, extra hobby time and UB and we can connect with people around the world. And everyone's been trying to focus on what the positive sides of the hobby are rather than bemoaning that we can't do you know certain things at the moment because i i think in the end we want to make sure that when we come out the through the other side of this i mean there's a cyclical nature of wargaming even in best of times where people come and go from the hobby right where you you're into it for a couple years you take a break you come back you take a break and for me it's like one of my like missions and goals is a content creator and a, a, a trying to be a positive voice in the community is how can we maintain our relationships and as healthy as a way so that when we come through the other side of this, uh, we still have a community, you know, and we still have a game that we can play and we still have that sort of a, a way for us to come together. And I think that's been, Elliot, you, you, you bring it up. That's been something that I've noticed too, which is the excitement from, from UB and everything that the Dash 28 Live guys have done and then what we've been trying to do on our show and everything, which is try to create as much... Uh, positivity and connectedness for us so that we can make it through the other side of this without having, you know, lost something that's really important to us because sometimes we get joked on, right? Oh, you like uh, toy soldiers or whatever. And it's like, I do like toy soldiers, but for me, it always comes back to the reason why this is a part of my life is the relationships and the Mm -hmm. friendships and everything else, you know? So, um, and I think we're on, we've been doing, like you say, Elliot, we've been doing well in trying to keep that going. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, things like the Dash 28 live streams, you know, you, you could you could question why I sit in front of my screen for three hours and watch somebody else play Toy Soldiers. But actually, I get to sit there and chat away to, you know, three friends that I've never met in real life and, and just have a, a, a hangout and drink a beer and have a conversation. And it, I've, I've really enjoyed them. They've been brilliant. And just for sitting there and chuckling away and, and chatting and, and socializing without ever leaving the house. And then now when you go to, and I've always been curious about this from like the 40K days, because I know they have a lot of tournaments in Europe, like the tournament that you're going into Germany now, uh, are you playing with people who know enough English to play? It's like, I don't think I've ever actually played against someone who didn't speak English. I mean, is that? I have no no idea. I'll find out. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm I'm going to assume so. I've been to Germany quite a few times and they they tend to speak English better than I do. Um, Got it. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm assuming so. If not, I, I am brushing up on rudimentary German. Um, uh-huh. I'm determined that I'll be able to introduce my army in full German. So I want to be able to go through my list, introduce myself, <laughs> say hello, and describe my list in German. That That's my my challenge. Just, and then I know what's nice. going to happen is I'm going to do that, and they're going to reply to me in perfect English and go through their list because that's... Yeah, the, the Brits are terrible at learning languages, and the rest of Europe are, are excellent at it. So, but I'm um, 
I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I've like I say, it's my my first international tournament, um, and I know it's Germany's first GT as well. So I'm I'm really glad that they've they've been able to go ahead with it. So they they've had a few small local ones, um, but it's it's really exciting to sort of be there at the start of their tournament scene and their their first GT. So I'm really really glad that I'm going over, and I'm I'm going with Nick Nick Williams as well. So we're gonna have a a, a little That's little awesome. mini break together. And I know there's a lot of players in Spain, right? Spain has a very competitive community, so it would be great to see oh, that. Oh, yes, uh, they're, they're, they're very good. You know, see that Keep go. coming over and beating us. Go into the rest of Europe as well, you know, try to get some of those. Because I know that, like, sort of like some of the ninth age bastions of holdouts are in Europe, so it would be nice to continue to maybe get some of those players over to... Yeah, it, so. I, I think it is, it's slowly growing in Europe, but yeah, the the guys in Spain are very, very good. Um and they mm-hmm. they come over to a few of the tournaments and yeah they c- come over they they soundly beat us and then go away with all our trophies. <laughs> Basically, yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like it's like whenever a Brit goes to America. Yeah. I would yeah, say well, as an American who's been to Germany and the UK, I think I understand the Germans a little bit better than the the Brits. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. Like I say, I'm sure they speak better English than I do. Well, awesome, fellas. Any any final thoughts or any any uh, like messages you guys want to say to the community or anything uh, uh, in retrospect to Jeff or Dan that you guys want to say or, or any final thoughts? Uh, just that I'm happy to be part of the RC and uh, and I'm very appreciative of all the work Jeff and Dan has put up to this point. And uh, and I thank them both for devoted confidence in, in my regard. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Happy to be here and very thankful as well. Yeah, just the, just the same. Uh, a big thank you to both of them. I'm, I'm really looking forward to to seeing Dan at a tournament soon, hopefully, and I can, I can get him a beer as a an official thank you. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm really excited. I, I want to get going with stuff now and and get on with it. Well, I know I'm excited. I was happy to hear that both of you guys got the positions. I think that you have you both have good minds for the game, but also I think the thing that resonated the most with me was the temperament thing and that there's other uh, players that we all know that have great minds for the game, but you do not want them <laughs> as like a, in a PR role at all, you know? So um, I'm thankful for you guys. I know it's a, a first step on a long journey that's going to be rewarding for you and rewarding for us in the community, and I know it's a lot of hard work. So I want to thank you guys in advance uh, for all of your hard work. And that's going to do it for us tonight. And remember to always keep counter charging. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on counter charge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com on Twitter at countercharge 15 or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons. 